Reading is from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, some may possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. God bless the understanding of his word to our hearts and minds. Good morning. It is, uh, like Richard said, it's really good to see you this morning. For everyone in the room, everyone joining us online from their own front rooms, kitchens, I don't know, buses, trains, I don't know where you watch it, but it's, uh, it's just great that you could join us today. Uh, great to have a little insight as well, wasn't it, into Richard's Sunday mornings, routines. I want to say that as a church, we do not endorse animal abuse of any kind. <laughs> whether you're late for church or not, and we'll be praying for your cat and the dog that you don't have as well. (laughs) I want to say a few things before we get into the scriptures and to the message for this morning. The first is to say we're going to be looking at a number of different scriptures, uh, and so I've stuck them all on on one sheet. If anybody wants to pick one of those up, they're on the the Bible bookshelf at the back if you want one. If you'd rather have one now that you can read along and scribble along, you can grab one now, uh, but they'll be there afterwards. If you're thinking all the way through, I'm not going to remember all this. Don't worry, it, it, it's all there for you. Uh, and I also want to say a few things about uh, some stuff that's coming up as well. Uh, every Easter, we try to slow down throughout that week that approaches Resurrection Day, uh, Resurrection Sunday. And we're going to be gathering on Monday, Thursday at 8.30 in the evening, uh, and also on Good Friday at 8.30, uh, to journey with Jesus uh, through, through that weekend. Uh, they are creative spaces for us to engage together uh, in a fresh way, hopefully, a creative way, uh, and a new way. So that's 8.30 on Monday, Thursday, 8.30 on Good Friday, uh, and then we'll wait the long hours of Saturday and gather again at 8.30 a.m. Uh, on Easter Sunday to, to finish that journey together. Uh, that's going to be followed by a, a simple breakfast. Uh, so if you're worried about eating in between services, we've got it taken care of, uh, and uh, we'd love to have you there uh, for, for that journey. Uh, I was struck a few weeks ago when uh, Juliana was, was preaching by that phrase that comes up in this passage, at the right time and in due time, 
Christ died for the ungodly. And that's going to be the theme that we explore this year, uh, a matter of time, looking at night on Monday, Thursday, the darkest hour on Good Friday, uh, and then dawn on Easter morning. We'd love to have you here for that. Uh, and the other thing I just want to uh, throw out an invitation to, if you've never been baptized uh, and you're wondering about it, what it is, what it means, who it's for, is it for you, is it for others, uh, then there's one or two people considering baptism at the moment, possibly for uh, Easter Sunday. Uh, and if you'd like to be part of a small group that just gets out the scriptures for a few sessions, looks at the, the symbol of baptism, uh, then please do speak to me. I'd love you to be part of that as we journey through that uh, together. So should we just pray as we open God's word today? Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the gift of your word. Lord, we do not want to take it for granted that we live in a place and a time when we can own a Bible without fear of harassment or arrest. Lord, forgive us that we don't open it enough. Forgive us that we don't digest it enough. Forgive us that we don't live it enough. But we thank you for this opportunity. It's so precious to gather with your people around your word and invite you to speak. And we do right now, Holy Spirit, invite you to speak to each and every one of us. I pray, Lord, today again that you would just filter out anything of me, that your word would be front and center, would be clear for each and every one of us, Lord. May your spirit rest on, on your word today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, speak, shape, mold, call, courage. Invite us today as we look to you, Lord Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now pop your hand up for me if you're fans of a show called The Great British Bake Off. Do we have any fans here today? Quite a few, yeah. Uh, I, I love the show. It's kind of a show of, of two halves, really, isn't it? The, the first half is when they're all gathered in the tent and they learn about the challenges for this week and they start to dream dreams, don't they, about what they can bake. And they tell this little story that they've done it before or it's a family recipe or they've been excited about doing it. And then, you know, as if to help them, we have this little artist impression, don't we? A small team, I guess, of graphic designers gets together and beautifully paints what this cake should look like. And then there's the rest of the show of them trying to find freezer space and work out how long to leave it in the oven for and how warm it is in the tent that week. That seems to come up a lot, doesn't it? I don't know where they're filming this show. It doesn't seem to be warm around me uh, much. But, uh, and, and they kind of go through this process of, of baking the cake. And then at the end, they have to stand there, don't they? But uh, having said what they were going to do in front of what they've actually done and explain the gap between the vision and the execution. And sometimes they just look so deflated, don't they? So discouraged. If you've ever watched the show, there's people that have even been in tears over cake. <laughs> I've been in tears over cake, not one that I've made, but one that I've, one that I've wanted. But it's true, isn't it? And often in, in life, whether you're a baker or not, whether you know this show or not, there can be this gap between what you want to do, what you want to produce, who you want to be, and our execution, our experience of it. I wonder for some of us here today, if we can think back uh, to that moment when we invited Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, if you've done this yet, it's, 
If you haven't, then today could be your day. This could be your moment. But if we could think back to then, uh, and just that energy that came, that passion, that excitement of all that was open to us now, all that was available, all that was possible. And we recognize, don't we, those moments when we stand there and the gap between who we thought we'd be and where we are, it's not a small step, it's, it's a huge gulf. And we can journey in the spiritual life through this valley called discouragement, disillusionment. Have you ever prayed for something so hard, you thought to yourself, if God doesn't answer this prayer, I don't know what prayer he will answer. And then it doesn't happen in the way that you thought it would or as quick as you thought it would. And there's this valley between all that you hoped for and all that you have. Has anyone here wrestled with a sin habit so much they've even wondered if they were a Christian? Just really battled with the same thing over and over again and thought, have I got it? Have I, have I met grace? Have I met Jesus at all? The gulf between what the Bible says of us and the person we are on the inside can be so discouraging, so deflating. Have you ever had somebody who you admire, who you look up to, an author, a speaker, a pastor, a youth leader, a pillar of your church, and you've just known if anyone's going to heaven, it's them. And then there's that day when you find out that they were human too. Your struggles were their struggles. And something of your faith crumbles a little bit. Something of your confidence shakes and rocks a little bit. There are these journeys we go through, aren't there? Through from, from faith and hope and confidence and joy to other places. To discouragement, to disillusionment, to frustration and to fear. I was reading recently, a, a, a fabulous author once said that one of the biggest struggles in the spiritual life are the two little words, but I. And you see this all throughout the scriptures. Moses, you're going to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. But I cannot speak. Gideon, you're going to lead an army into battle. But I'm nobody. I'm, my family's from the smallest tribe. Esther, you've got to go and tell the king. For such a time as this, you've been called Esther. It's not right with all these plans that have been made. And Esther says, but I haven't been called towards the king. And sometimes we, we, we sit, don't we, in church, and we hear songs, or we open scripture, and, and we read words, or we hear others talk about an experience, and there's this little voice inside. But I can't do that. But every time I try to do that, I stumble, I fail. And maybe for some of us today, we've heard these words in our prayers, in our minds, in our thoughts an awful lot. But I can't hold my family together. But I can't give generously. But I can't support them. But I can't find a church. But I, time and time and time again, it runs right throughout the scriptures. And one of the really interesting things about it is that when that happens, God doesn't say to the person what we often say to the person. It's really interesting. God doesn't come to Moses and say, 
Moses, you're a great public speaker. He doesn't come to Gideon and go, Gideon, you've got this. You're a great military leader. He doesn't come to Esther and say, Esther, your husband would love you to go and share this plan with him. God hears us. God knows us. And to our but eyes, God says, yeah, but I will be with you. I want to share this morning that so often we think that is true of the great missions of the Bible. We think that this is true of the great experiments of faith. But it is also true fundamentally of the basics uh, of our faith. So the, the phrases that we're landing on in this uh, Justified series today come from verses 9 to 11. Uh, it says this. Let me look it up here because I'm quite got the eyesight anymore to read from up there. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we have been saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall also be saved by his life. Not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So Paul is talking in these verses, and he kind of has been hinting at this throughout the whole of this chapter, but he really lands on it here, uh, on two big themes. He talks about having been something, and then he goes on to say, we shall be something. So Paul is drawing a distinction between something that's happened through faith in the past and something that will happen through faith in the future. So something has both happened and something will happen. And Paul says, having been justified. Now this is one of Paul's key concepts, one of his key foundational beliefs that when the time comes to stand before God and give an account for our lives, you and I will not be, if we're trusting Jesus, we've asked him to be our saviour, we will not be justifying ourselves. But through faith, there will be one who stands for us and speaks for us. And we're going to come on to that uh, in, in just a few moments. Uh, and Paul says that has happened. We've been justified. Therefore, we shall be saved. He goes on to talk about if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And then finally, he talks about this present that we find ourselves in. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. I don't know if you've ever been somewhere uh, that you haven't been before, in a new town or just in a big building or on a big ship, and being totally lost. Uh, and they have these maps up on the wall, don't they? And you go up and you try and find the bit that you, you want to get to. The trouble with a map is it might tell you where something is, but unless you know where you are, it's no good to you, is it, at all? You probably knew roughly where it was when you looked at the map. What's really helpful are those maps that have that kind of little arrow on somewhere that say, uh, and you are here. And sometimes some of our pain in the Christian life, some of this valley that we go through, the frustration uh, and the angst that we feel, uh, is because we're not quite sure where we are uh, on the journey. And so uh, what I want to do this morning is, is to just draw it out uh, and have it really clear in all our minds where we are today. Uh, and if at the end of this you realize that you're not where you should be, uh, I want to give us an invitation to do something about that today. 
So something has, has happened to us in the past. So if I draw this on here, my writing is really neat and tidy, and my spelling and grammar are amazing. So you're going to see all of this this morning. So something has happened to us in the past. Paul tells us that on the cross, Christ was doing something on our behalf. He puts it really clearly in this passage a few moments earlier. Christ died for us. When Christ gave his life uh, on the cross, it was not for his own sake. It wasn't to appease the anger of the crowd or the judicial system of the day. It was for us. The Bible tells us that sin has consequences. The choices that I make, the decisions of my life, the way I treat others, it all racks up a, a moral debt. The reality is I... I cannot repay that. I could be a good person, as, bu- as, as good as I could be from now until the day I die. It doesn't change the past at all. It's there. It needs to be paid for. It needs to be dealt with. And God has spoken and told us that the wages of sin is death. That the judgment for not living up to God's holy, righteous, glorious standard is death, a life and a death apart from him. And that's what Jesus does for us uh, on the cross. He dies in our place for us. And because of that, Paul tells us that we are reconciled to God. He says it really clearly in those verses that we read earlier. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to say to each and every one of us today, if you are trying to have peace with God by keeping a clean record by, not doing, by, by doing the best you can to not do anything wrong, not to think anything wrong, or to want anything wrong. You will not get peace with God that way. The way that we get peace is here at the cross, where we are reconciled, literally reconciled, brought back to God. And Paul tells us that has happened. It's not on the basis of anything we do or don't do. That has happened at the cross, and we can come here uh, and receive that. Paul puts it this way in, in Ephesians. It is by grace you have been saved through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this this is decided here at the cross, and it is a gift of grace. You can come and receive peace here, or you will find it nowhere else. There was a uh, a mayor in New York, a really short little guy uh, who often had a a flower on his lapel, and so they called him the, the little flower. He was really, really popular. He was uh, voted back in as mayor of New York an unprecedented three times because he would do these crazy things. Uh, At busy times, he trained to be a volunteer fireman uh, and would go down and and, and help out where he was needed. He'd he'd rock up uh, at orphanages and just ask where he could help, not not for the publicity. There was no press involved at all. He he would just do this. One of the things he loved to do when there was a real backlog was to go down to the courtroom uh, and as mayor he could sit as judge in in certain cases. And after a long day, uh, he's sitting there hearing case after case and this elderly woman is, is brought in and the case is brought against her. She's stolen bread from a shop to feed her family. And the baker's lawyer puts forward this passionate case Justice must be done and must be seen to be done. If we do not punish this, the streets are going to be crazy, chaotic. If people hear that you can just rob bread, it's going to be a wild system. And so the judge hears this and hears the woman's story about needing to feed her own kids. 
And he takes off this hat that he wore, a famous big hat. And he said, yeah, justice must be done and must be seen to be done. I'm going to fine you $10, which back in the day was a lot more money than it would be today. And for her, it was an impossible amount of money. And then he reached into his wallet and threw £10 into the hat and said, which I will happily pay on your behalf. You're free to go. And then everyone was grabbing their, their coats and bags, getting ready to go. And he said, one more thing. He said, I'm also going to fine everybody in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a city where a woman has to steal bread to feed her kids. So on the way out, they all had to put 50 cents into this hat. And then he found the woman and gave her this 50-odd dollars that had been raised and said, this is for you. It wasn't just mercy that day that she didn't get what she should have deserved. It was also grace. She got what she didn't deserve as well. And that is what we see happening here at the cross of Jesus. God has to punish sin. He is a righteous and holy God. At at the cross, and we often misunderstand this in our day, forgiveness is, is not cheap. God does not look at us through the cross and say, it's okay that you've done that. He does not pretend that, what, that we haven't done what we have done. What he does do is, is to deal with it, to nail it somewhere, to pay the price for us so that mercy is ours. We do not get what we should deserve, and we also get more than we could ever deserve. And if you're trusting in Jesus today, if you said, Jesus, lead my life and rescue me, that has happened to you. But then Paul tells us we've we've also, because of that event, we've also got a future. And I've struggled to think about how to draw this. And to be fair, the Bible does say that no eye has seen and no ear has heard what the Lord has prepared for those who love him. But I've had a bit of revelation, and this is what heaven looks like, okay? (laughs) And so, sorry, Ruth, you can't see this. I'll show you afterwards. It's a beautiful work of art. I wouldn't strain your neck, honestly. Uh, And so if if you've come to the cross in repentance, then that repentance can turn into reconciliation, can turn into restoration. And we now have a future that is secured because of the cross. Uh, In these verses, Paul puts it this way. Much more then, having been justified through his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So there's a sense in which at the cross we were saved from the penalty of sin, There's a price that we no longer have to pay because of Jesus. But there's also a reality that there's one day when we will be saved from the presence of sin. It's really interesting that when Jesus uh, began his his earthly ministry, he went to a synagogue near where he lived and flipped through the the scroll and read that passage from Isaiah, "The, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And then he outlines everything that that anointing, everything that ministry will be about. And at the end of that, he he gets to this verse in Isaiah where it says, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he goes and sits down. But he actually ends that quote right in the middle of a sentence. If you look it up, he actually says, the, the, the actual quote is, the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God. But for Jesus, see, that that day is in the future. There is a time when when judgment will come 
on the whole world, when God will put right those things that we read about and ache for and long to be sorted out in our world. The Bible's answer is that it will not be that way always. God will judge uh, the living and the dead one day, but this, that is not today. And that's why sometimes it can be so painful to journey. God is, God is not unjust. God is not unfair. But he is delaying judgment until a future point so that we can be saved. And so we are now living in this period, in these days of grace, the year of the Lord's favor. These are days of, of opportunity. So we have been saved from the penalty of sin. One day we will be saved even from the presence of sin. We were uh, on holiday a, a few weeks ago, and we got to tick one of those things off the bucket list. Anyone know where this is? Port Myrian. Yeah, anyone been? Yeah, beautiful place. If you haven't, go put it on your bucket list. It's an absolutely fantastic place. Uh, I couldn't wait to go. I'd heard about it since I was a kid, and we were really, really excited about it. I got to do it. And One of the funny things is, when you go somewhere as an adult with kids, is that your experience of a place can be very different from your kids' experience of a place. And throughout the time we were in Port Myrian, we were looking at the beauty of the scenery and the architecture and the colors and the design. We kept get asked, being asked two questions. One, is there a cafe? <laughs> and number two, is there a gift shop? And both of which were overpriced. But apart from that, Port Myrian is lovely. Do, do go there. And it's funny, isn't it? Our, our expectation of a place can be limited by our own experience of something. Yeah, all of this is great, but is there a gift shop? <laughs> is there a cafe? We were away uh, this weekend down in West Wales for a family funeral. It was Amy's step-uncle's funeral. And while the service was happening, Luther and, and Amy sang a song, When I stand before your throne, dressed in glory, not my own. What a joy I'll sing of on that day. And there's a bit in the bridge. No more tears. No more pain. No more sin or sorrow ever known again. No more fears, no more shame. We will see him face to face. And to be there knowing that that Uncle John was there, was standing in that place, was, was a beautiful moment. Absolutely incredible. And there's a line in that song that always chokes me. When I see you as you are and love you with unsinning heart. You think you love him now. Paul calls, uh, in, later in this letter, Paul calls this future the redemption of our bodies. See, the truth is, as much as my mind can want to and my spirit can long to. There is some sin that gets entangled, isn't there? There are still cravings and needs and habits and, and temptations, frustrations, limitations. One day, we're told, we shall be set free from all of that. See, when I often think about heaven and I only think about eternal life or being out of pain, it's like going to heaven and asking, is there a gift shop? Those things are because there is no sin there. Because the curse has no grip, has no hold there. One day we will be saved from, even from the presence of sin. There'll be no temptation, no guilt, no regret. That is, that's the goal. and That is the, the whole reason that Jesus came, is to restore all things to himself. It's not just so we can live longer. 
is so that death could be defeated and therefore um, illness, sickness, cancer, um, arthritis, dementia, uh, betrayal, brokenness, all the consequences that come with it because sin is defeated and we get to go and be there one day. So we have a past uh, where we're saved from the penalty of sin. Uh, we have a future where we will be saved from the presence of sin. Uh, and now we find ourselves in the present, in this valley between our hope and what we have, between the promise of what's been done for us and who we are in Christ and who I know to be in the dark night of my soul. So what do we do with, with that gap? In another place, uh, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing, uh, and he gets onto this later in the letter, but it's like he wants to lay the groundwork for it uh, in the first chapter. He says, listen, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I don't know if you've ever had this experience of trying to explain something that is the deepest, most important part of you, and have somebody just look at you like, sorry? It can seem foolishness. There was a time in our lives, wasn't there, when we probably thought of it as, as foolishness. He goes on to say, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the gospel that changes. It's the gospel that impacts. It's the gospel that matters. And he uses this phrase, to us who are being saved. So the question is, have we been saved? Will we be saved? Or are we being saved? And the answer is, yeah. We were saved from the penalty, we will be saved from the presence, and in the right now, we're being saved from the power of sin. It's so passionately, isn't it, the way that Paul writes about it here. Hope does not disappoint us because of the Holy Spirit who pours out the love of God into our hearts. And by the way, that word pour out there is the same word that is used on the day of Pentecost for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. We can come to God and have that personal Pentecost, that personal experience of being equipped by the Holy Spirit. See, if something has happened to us here in our past and we know that Jesus has paid the price for our sin and we know that one day uh, this is our destination, this is our final sort of resting place, is outside of the presence of sin, then just to wait for that would be to miss the point of what Jesus did for us. It would be to completely squander the grace you know, later in Corinthians, Paul talks about this, doesn't he? And says, the grace that was shown me was not without effect. I didn't just stick it in the account until this day. It produced something in us. And that's what grace does, doesn't it? It does for us what living under the law or living under shame and guilt cannot do for us. I was reading uh, only the other day a book by um, Philip Yancey. I read it a number of years ago, but returned to it for various reasons. Finding God in Unexpected Places. Uh, and there's this amazing chapter called Russia's Untold Story. Really um, amazing, I should read it right now. Uh, and Philip Yancey and a whole bunch of um, church leaders went to visit Russia back in 1991 
uh, after the coup of, uh, of Gorbachev. Uh, and there was a whole movement within that country recognizing the failure of Marxism uh, to bring the change that, it, that they wanted it to bring. And they were inviting Christian leaders over to say, would you come and bring us hope? Would you come and sort of bring us some, some sense of where we could go? And he writes about this amazing opportunity that existed in Russia, that they somehow went from being one of the most closed countries in the world to this window when they were one of the most open, asking missionaries to come and share. And he talks about one meeting where there's this panel at the front and all these journalists firing questions at them. And one person gets up, somebody who's run a, a prison ministry in Russia for many years, Ron Nickel, and he says this. Winston Churchill said, you can judge a society by its prisons. And by that standard, both the USSR and the US are tragedies. Our prisons are awful. I've been in prisons all over the world, and I've talked to sociologists, behaviorists, and cultural uh, justice experts. None of them know how to get prisoners to change. But we believe, and have seen abundant proof, that Christ can transform a person from the inside out. Jesus, himself a prisoner, was executed, but he rose again. Now many prisoners are rising again, thanks to him. See, if we will allow him to, by the presence of this Holy Spirit that's been poured out into our hearts, we can be saved from the, the power of sin. Uh, there's a, a journey from the present, and I would love to draw it in a nice straight diagonal line, up and, up and to the right. But the truth is, there are still struggles. There are still frustrations, there's still pain, valleys, mountaintops, doubts, fears, because we're not home yet. We're not there yet. But because of this, and not because of our best efforts on the journey, this is assured. This is definite. Love what Richard said earlier. Let, let the feelings follow. The facts of the case are this. The price is paid for the penalty of sin. The door is open to escape the presence of sin. And here and now, as we respond to Jesus, as we walk with him, yes, there are pains, yes, there are frustrations, yes, there are days when we feel like we've taken three or four steps backwards, but we are being saved. Something is going on, this change, that no prison system in the world could ever manufacture inside and out. And one of the most important things for us to realize in all of our fears and frustrations is that we are here somewhere. We'd love to be here, but we're here. We're not here, but we're not here yet either. And I say all of that today because they're important to this verse that Paul comes on to then. He says, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? This is Paul's point. If God was able to do all of this while we were over here somewhere, while we were enemies, if he could save us through the death of his son, now that Jesus is alive and risen and resurrected and ascended, how much more is he able to save us through his resurrection life? It's like Paul wants to underline it here. This, our place here isn't dependent on this performance. It's dependent on this performance. How much more 
will we be saved through his life? And I know for some of us today, that but I is huge. The guilt, the shame. We're really, really good as Christians, aren't we? Of coming to the cross and putting down our guilt and walking away just as ashamed as we ever were. Carrying the weight. But I still did that. But I was still there. And through all of that, God calls to each and every one of us today, but I am able to save through my resurrection life.